Our scripture to consider tonight before the lesson is Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. For a minute there, we were juggling who was going to be watching Jackson while Emily went to the restroom, and I thought I had my remote and didn't know where it was. It was in my pocket, so I found it. Getting a little feedback. All right. Let's face it. Before 2020, we probably didn't ever really stop and think about what the Great Commission looked like in times like these. Maybe back in 1918, there were some of those types of discussions with the Spanish flu. But most of us in our lifetime probably never thought, what does the Great Commission look like when we are dealing with the scenario that we're dealing with? So let's talk about that. Because really, going and making disciples from Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, isn't limited to times when there's not a pandemic. If we're not careful, we may forget that one of our most important missions as a Christian, the mission that we have been entrusted with, may be set aside, and it really shouldn't be. As we think about this, our responsibilities as Christians is to make disciples as we go. We'll talk more about that here in just a minute. We are on a mission, no doubt, and fulfilling the mission is about fulfilling this mission of making disciples. Very clearly and plainly put, it's about making disciples. What does that mean, and how do we do that? Let's talk about that this evening. Number one, making disciples, as we think about the Great Commission, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. I want us to consider first and foremost that fulfilling the mission requires recognition of Christ's authority. If you don't have your Bible open, you'll see it on the screen there. Notice that in verse 19, before Jesus gives this commission, he has some words. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore, or therefore go, connecting that previous thought right? Accordingly, as some translations may put it, accordingly, based upon what I've just said, the fact that all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, go and make disciples. Jesus has all authority, both in heaven, in spiritual matters, and on earth, in physical matters. Do we really believe that? It's a question we need to ask. Do I truly believe that Jesus has that authority to, to place that expectation upon me? Because here's the thing, if, if I'm a, a soldier in the army and my commanding officer gives me some sort of commission or responsibility to go, my expectation or my responsibility is to realize that that commanding officer has that authority to place that expectation upon me and I must fall in line and fall in step with the, what that expectation says. And so similarly, when we think about Jesus and when it comes to the Great Commission, Do I connect the dots 
between that expectation and what Jesus, as me being a disciple, connecting the dots between me being a disciple and what Jesus has said and the authority that he has in all realms of, in the earth and on heaven, the authority that he has, do I recognize that? It is this authority that ultimately compels us to fulfill this mission, to obey the Great Commission. And so in order to fulfill this Great Commission, we need to first and foremost recognize Christ's authority. But secondly, consider that fulfilling the mission requires movement. It requires movement. Very simply, that word underlined there, go, to go. Simply put, if we don't go, the gospel will not be taken to the lost. Paul understood this when he quoted Isaiah saying, I've made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Speaking figuratively there in a sense because he he meant representatively of the Gentiles as a whole that, that the gospel could go to anywhere, not just to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles, but at large as well in the sense that Paul carried the gospel all over the Mediterranean in what was known as the world of the day. And you think about this particular phrase, to go, or that word to go, there's some debate about exactly what that particular word indicates or means in the original language. Some scholars believe that it's an imperative that that word simply is Jesus saying go. Others believe that Jesus is saying, as you are going, make disciples. And I'll leave that to those that are maybe in the scholarship realm to kind of parse through the Greek as to exactly what that means, but it's an interesting thought to consider, particularly in the day and age in which we live. Talk more about that here in just a minute. And so going requires three things. Number one, for us to go, we need to identify where we are. We need to identify where we are. Think about this in Matthew chapter 28, verse number 16. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority. And there we go. There's our great commission in the next verse. So where were these disciples? They were up on a mountain retreat, in a sense. They had gone away to a mountain. And here's where Jesus comes to them and gives them this particular commission. But in order for them to then go out into all the world to preach the gospel, to make disciples, they first had to identify where they were. There's a time for retreating. There's a time for going away and, and praying. Jesus did that often. But in order for us to truly fulfill the Great Commission, we need to identify where we are. And of course, we understand where we are. We're in Katy, Texas. But what I mean in a spiritual sense is identify where we are in our responsibility to this Great Commission and whether or not I'm truly fulfilling that. Am I just staying where I've always been when it comes to the Great Commission? Or am I branching out of my comfort zone? And am I launching out in faith and fulfilling this mission to teach the lost and make disciples of those that do not know Jesus? And so going requires first identifying where I am. And we need to identify this to truly obey the Great Commission. But secondly, in order to go, we need to identify what needs to be left behind. Not only do we need to identify where we are, but we need to identify what needs to be left behind. Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, just a few pages over in the the third gospel account as it's laid out in your Bibles. In Luke chapter number 10, in verse number 4, we have the account of what's known as, sometimes we call it, the limited commission. This is not the Great Commission, it's the limited commission in which Jesus sends out 70 disciples to spread the news of the coming kingdom. 
But Jesus, I want us to make some application and observations from what Jesus expects these individuals to do. In verse number four, he gives them a particular commandment about how they are to go out into the world and, and, and proclaiming this news. They were, to verse number four of Luke chapter 10, carry neither money bag, knapsack, nor sandals, and greet no one along the road. Now, why was Jesus telling them not to carry money or sandals or extra sandals of some sort or even a, a backpack? Why was Jesus saying that? We don't maybe know exactly the reason, but apparently there were some things that needed to be left behind for those individuals to fulfill the task that Jesus had entrusted them with, particularly if you could look back up at verse number 62 of chapter 9. Look, look, at me, look, at, look with me at Luke chapter 9, verse 62. But Jesus said to him, No one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus had just said this in response to some people that were wanting to follow Jesus, but they said, first, before we go, let me do this or that and take care of these particular matters. But apparently for these particular individuals, the 70 individuals that Jesus sent out, they had a responsibility to leave some things behind. So when it comes to us, when we think about the Great Commission, not only do we need to identify where we are to go, we also need to identify what might need to be left behind. Maybe it's some personal interests and hobbies that take up some time that we should be using to make disciples. Maybe it's leaving behind some personal relationships that are hindering our ability to make disciples of others. And listen to me now. Maybe, maybe we might need to leave behind some personal political affiliations. Because if there's anything that might be getting in the way of the gospel in 2020 right now, if there's anything that might be getting in the way of our ability to make disciples of people that don't know Jesus, that are lost and dying in their sin-sick ways, it may be the connections that you have to certain political beliefs. I'm not saying that you can't have those. I'm not saying that, you may, that, it's, that it's even possible to, to separate yourself from those things but it may be that the things that you post on Facebook, the things that you share ad nauseum, that they may be getting in, your, in the way of you being able to make disciples. What have you used your Facebook account or your whatever type of account for in regards to the gospel to make disciples of others? And so it requires identifying where we are. It requires identifying what needs to be left behind. And it also requires identifying a way to take. Identifying a way to take. We've known, as, as we said, that the Great Commission isn't about only going into foreign lands, right? We, we remind ourselves of this often, that, that the Great Commission starts in our streets, and in our homes, and, and right here. And that, yes, it also includes going to foreign lands. But here's the thing. Right now, Borders are literally closed. Borders are literally closed. And for us to be able to go in the sense that sometimes we think of the Great Commission, it can't be done. And so how do we fulfill this Great Commission in identifying a way to take? Again, as we said before, as some scholars debate about this concept of, of the word go or as you're, as you're going, maybe we should suggest this. As you are going, make disciples. It's as simple as this. Start in your home. It's as simple as this. Start in your home. Parents, let's get to the single greatest mission field at our disposal. Right in our home. It's as simple as this. Going and getting off of the couch. 
to visit with your kids about Jesus. It's as simple as going and getting off of your phone to show them Christian character. It's as simple as while you're making lunch, as you're working in the garage, as you're driving down the road, turning off that music and saying, hey, do you remember that account in Luke chapter whatever, talking about that particular scripture with your son or your daughter? Modeling to your children what God looks like, showing them who God is, talking to them about God, having real, legitimate conversations with your children about God, not just showing up to worship on Sunday morning or night or Wednesday evening, tuning in on live stream, but you, Dad, and you, Mom, talking with your children. But what about those maybe that don't have children in the home anymore or, or, or have never had children? Let's move out from there. You know what? We do live in a virtual age. We do live in a virtual time period because of the situation we're in. But at our disposal are so many different tools. Zoom, Skype, FaceTime, Google Hangouts, WhatsApp, Facebook Live, Instagram Live, on and on and on. All the things that we have at our disposal to use to teach the gospel and make disciples of everyone that we know. But even beyond that, World Video Bible School, World Bible School, tools that we can use to make disciples. So it requires movement and actually getting motivated and doing it. It requires intentionality. Go back to your, in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20, where we were, the Great Commission. Go and, what does he say? Make disciples. We've emphasized this idea, this thought over and over again. As you are going, don't forget to not only identify the way to take and go, but don't forget to intentionally make disciples. Not just baptizing them. We're not just getting folks wet. We're actually making disciples. The word disciple literally means a learner. It means someone who follows another's teaching. And the disciple is not only a learner, but more importantly, he's a follower. That's why disciples were called to be imitators of their teacher. The goal in being a disciple, as stated by Jesus, is this, in Luke chapter 6, verse 40, to be like the teacher. One who is well-trained by his master or his teacher will look like his teacher. To be his disciple, then, is to strive to be like him. And according to Paul, this coincides with God's goal in the redemption of mankind, ultimately, and that is for us to be conformed to the image of his Son. Disciple-making requires discipline. It requires change, improvement, refining. Think about the fact that we had an intern here this summer who preached for us this morning, right? Hopefully, we've seen growth in him. Hopefully, we all see growth in all of us all the time, right? But the idea of the internship is like an apprenticeship, right? To teach an individual to use a trade for a particular purpose, to begin to look. You can even maybe see in some particular designers the way that they design things or, or architects, the way that they build buildings. They're influenced by that which they learned from another individual. And a person who is a learner or a disciple of someone else looks like the one that they learned from. And so it requires intentionality in the sense that as we think about making disciples, it's not just about making Christians in the sense that they now wear the name of Christ, but actually helping them to look like Jesus. But not only that, it also requires love for all people. Fulfilling the mission requires love for all people. Notice what Jesus says, continuing on in verse number 20. 
or verse number 19, baptizing them in the name, uh, go make disciples of all the nations, of all the nations. As you are going, don't forget to love all people. Romans chapter 1 and verse number 16, as we think about the gospel of God as the power of salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 9, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It doesn't matter where you're from, doesn't matter what you look like, the gospel is not just for Americans, as we think about with regard to the Great Commission and what our typical sense of the Great Commission looks like sometimes in going out into the world to various nations, but it also is for those that are not just Texans, not just those that are white, not just those that are of any particular race or gender or ethnicity, but that the gospel is for all. Of one the Lord has made the race, through one has come the fall. Where sin has gone must go his grace. The gospel is for all. The blessed gospel is for all. The gospel is for all. Where sin has gone, must go his grace. The gospel is for all. But consider also that fulfilling the mission requires baptism. We did say a minute ago that fulfilling the mission requires intentionality and making disciples, and it's not just about getting people wet. But involved in this is also truly the concept and and connected to the Great Commission is unequivocally the concept of baptizing individuals. Jesus expected baptism of his apostles and disciples as part of making other disciples, as part of the Great Commission. Notice what we see the followers of Jesus doing through the book of Acts once they preach Jesus to someone. After preaching Jesus or the gospel in Acts chapter number 2, they ask, what do we need to do to be saved? What was Peter's response? Repent and be baptized. In Acts chapter number 8, as the Ethiopian eunuch said, was wanting uh, Philip to preach or teach the gospel to him and help him understand the scriptures better, what happens? He obeys the gospel by being baptized. In Acts chapter number 9, Saul, as we know him early on, later as we know him, the apostle Paul lost his sight on the road to Damascus. Ananias preached Jesus to Saul, exhorts Saul to rise and be baptized and wash away his sins. Acts chapter 22 and verse number 16. The Great Commission is about preaching the great gospel of Jesus. Included in that is the expectation of baptism for the remission of sins, even even while wearing masks. Megan recently came up here to be baptized. It was the first baptism I'd ever seen where somebody was wearing a mask. I couldn't help but think a little bit like it seemed like waterboarding because as she came up out of the water grave of baptism, you know, that, that mask is wet, right? But she didn't care about it at the moment, right? Her sins had been washed away. Melanie and Linda had been studying with her. The Great Commission had been fulfilled in the sense that they were making disciples and continue to study, right? Thinking about fulfilling this mission, making disciples. Not only does it require baptism, but it requires teaching. It requires teaching. As you're going, don't forget to teach them all that Jesus commanded, not just getting them wet, not just baptizing them, but teaching them all that Jesus commanded, whereas making disciples involves winning people over to Jesus to pattern their lives after him. This thought adds to that principle. It adds to it requiring teaching about the inspiration and the inerrancy of Scripture, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, about what the Bible says about origins, about what the Bible says about a, f- a global flood. It requires teaching about what Jesus came to accomplish, both in the sense that Christ taught about his divinity, both in the sense what Christ came to accomplish upon the cross, both about what Jesus came to 
bring about in regards to his kingdom. It requires teaching about how to observe, not only about where we came from, not only about what Jesus came to accomplish, but how to observe what Jesus commanded, how to observe his commandments on being a faithful Christian, being different from the world, being devoted to the cause of the kingdom, how to observe his commandments on how to be a faithful worshiper, how to observe his commandments on how to be a faithful evangelist and teaching others as well. So it requires teaching about the inspiration of Scripture. It requires teaching about what Jesus came to accomplish. It requires teaching about how to observe what Jesus commanded. And it requires teaching about where we go when we die and what happens in the life thereafter. Some people believe that this life is all that there is. They're wrong. Some people believe that everyone will go to heaven. They're wrong as well. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23. Some people believe that only certain portions of Christians will go to heaven and that others will stay here on earth and reign for a particular time period. The Bible doesn't teach that either. And so it requires teaching not just about how to have one's sins washed away, but how to observe all of these other things as well. We're making disciples. And even though we may not have as much contact with people that, we, that haven't come to know the gospel yet, we have young Christians in this body, in this church family, that we need to reach out to and make sure that we are continuing to teach them all that Jesus has commanded us to observe. And finally, fulfilling the mission requires diligence. Notice the last phrase of verse number 20. Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of of the age. Though some military missions may end, this particular statement of this commission implies that the apostles' mission was never-ending. As long as a lost soul existed for them, their mission was to make disciples. The apostles have gone on to their reward. But we carry that banner now. This commission is to be carried out by every Christian until Christ returns. Again, as long as a lost soul exists. As we think about this particular statement, it may be more applicable to us than it ever has been before in our particular lives. And our theme for this particular year, and being those that are abounding, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. The circumstances are difficult. The mission has not changed. We still need to abound even in teaching those that are lost, and we still need to realize that any work in the Lord is not in vain. Having considered all these things, turn with me to the book of Acts as we close. Book of Acts, chapter number 18. I want you to see something very interesting from three different accounts. Acts chapter number 18, what we find here is the Great Commission bearing fruit in the Apostle Paul's life, after he becomes a Christian, he then bego- begins to go and make disciples. In Acts chapter number 18, and verse number 1, after these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. Paul went. He went. Then, in verse number 8, Paul made disciples, winning them over and baptizing them. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household, and many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed, and were baptized. But then notice also verse number 11. And he, Paul, continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. So Paul fulfilled the Great Commission. He went, he won them over to Jesus, and he continued to teach them for a year and six months. But, turn back to Acts chapter number 16. 
We also see the Great Commission bearing fruit in another individual's or a couple of individuals' lives. In the lives of Lois and Eunice. In Acts chapter number 16, verse 1, we find that we're introduced to a disciple. One who had been, implication here is that he had been made a disciple through the process of the Great Commission, right? Who went to him? No doubt other than his mother and his grandmother. We learn from 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5 that Lois and Eunice made a disciple out of Timothy because it first dwelt, the faith first dwelt in their lives and then it later dwelt in Timothy's life as well. But interestingly, if we remember Paul's, uh, Timothy's father, it seems perhaps that he wasn't a Christian because it doesn't indicate that he was a believer. And so Lois and Eunice, though they didn't go on this grand mission from Corinth to Athens, they were in their homes teaching the gospel and making disciples of their blood uh, offspring, Timothy. And they taught him how to live because he was well spoken of by the brethren in verse number two. This man, Timothy, was a follower of Jesus, one that looked like Jesus. But one more final account. In Acts chapter number 18, go back to Acts chapter number 18 at the very end, we're introduced to one more example of the Great Commission working in people's lives. Remember Paul? He went from Corinth to Athens. Do you remember Lois and Eunice right there in their home? Now we're going to notice someone who had someone come to their city, and then they taught the gospel. Acts chapter number 18, we find in verse number 24, a certain Jew named Apollos, born in Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus, right? Apollos left where he was from and came to Ephesus. And here, being in Ephesus, he comes in contact with a couple, a Christian couple named Priscilla and Aquila. And interestingly about these particular individuals, Priscilla and Aquila made Apollos a disciple of Jesus. Look at verse 28. For he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. How did they get there? How did they make Apollos a disciple of Jesus? Notice in verse 26. When Apollos came, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. And when Aquila and, Aprilla, uh, when Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. But again, notice how it came to be. We mentioned it already. Priscilla and Aquila took Apollos aside in their own city. In the city of Ephesus, or at least where they were at the moment. They took him aside and they taught him where they were as they were going. So you may not be traveling over to Turkey. You may not be traveling over to Tanzania or Brazil or Ecuador or wherever it may be. But as you are going, Christian, make disciples. Make disciples in your home and make disciples with the people you come in contact with each and every day right now. Are you doing that? If you're not a Christian this evening and you're interested in this concept of being a disciple, we want you to do that tonight. Have your Lord put on in baptism by submitting to him in obedient faith. But if you are a Christian and you've been falling short of this like I have in the last several months because I wasn't prepared for a global pandemic coinciding with my commission of going and making disciples, let's make those things right and do better. Even if you're not walking down the aisle, let's be committed this week to being better evangelists of the gospel. If there's anything that we can do for you, we ask that you come as together we stand and as we sing.